Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. So I've got a couple of things I want to tell you about here before we get into today's episode. First and foremost, earlier this week, we posted on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast a conversation that I would like every single one of you to be sure to listen to. We had conversations with three different outdoor industry companies that have pivoted away from their normal operations and their normal product offerings to be making personal protective equipment for healthcare workers who are seeing sick people as this COVID-19 pandemic rages on. I know we've been getting a lot of dark news recently. I think, though, that this is an incredibly inspiring conversation. And like I said, I would really like all of you to get a sense of what these companies are doing. And I'm also happy to say that there are a number of other companies in the outdoor industry that are also taking steps to see what they can be doing to help the cause right now. So that is an important one. Please check that out. It's called Bikes and Big Ideas. You can find that podcast on our website or just do a search in whatever podcast app you use, Bikes and Big Ideas, and you'll find it. I think it's episode number 20, and it's about outdoor companies that are pivoting to help fight the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, the other thing, we got to take a minute and celebrate here, I guess, or you guys can all celebrate. We crossed the 250 ratings mark, so you know what that means. It's time for us to telly. We are already taking steps to make this happen. Now, with everything that's going on in the world, I don't know exactly when this telemark skiing video is going to happen, but... You guys officially have gotten the ball rolling here. The wheels are turning and uh, this is happening. So good news for you, probably terrible news for me, but we're going to tell you. Now, another bit of good news, you know, in these dark times is that this is going to be just the first video in a series that we're kind of thinking of as like listener appreciation videos. Another way to think of it is sort of like blister crash course videos. We're just going to get started here. So we are now going to get to work on putting together this Telemark ski video. But here's the deal. If and when we get to 500 ratings of Gear 30 in Apple Podcasts, we're going to then make a Snowblade video. So yeah, Go leave a rating if you haven't already, or go introduce your friends to Gear 30 and tell them if they actually like the show, they need to leave a rating. We now start a march toward 500 ratings, and when we get there, we make the Blister Snowblade video. Then, after that, if and when we hit 750 ratings, then we make the Blister Snowboard video. But then, you know, we're not even going to be done there because at a thousand ratings, we make the blister mono ski video. And then 
Now we're gonna need a bit of a jump because this is getting to like a whole new level of commitment. You guys get us to 1500 ratings. We make the blister heli mono ski video. So that's it. Now we still have plans in the works after all of that, but I think that's enough for you guys to chew on for the time being. Get us to 1500 ratings and we are gonna go to Alaska and we will heli mono ski. And if any of us come back alive, you'll get to see the video of it. So there you go. Now today's episode, you know, for most of our Gear 30 episodes, we really pride ourselves on our, you know, professionalism. But I don't think the word professionalism has anything to do with this one. These are trying times and we are all dealing with a lot of uncertainty and scary news. And you know what? Sometimes... You kind of really just need to kick it with your friends and maybe even have a drink or two. So if you are not in the mood for that type of kind of freewheeling and loose conversation, well, then skip this one. But for all the rest of you, I hope you enjoy this one as much as we did. And so, yeah, let's just go ahead and jump down this rabbit hole of a conversation that I had earlier this week with Paul Forward and Luke Kappa, and you can look at the title of this episode, and then you can also look at the accompanying topics and times for this episode if you want to get a sense of what we're sort of talking about. But yeah, if you're in the right mood, this is a good one. And if you're not in the right mood, you're probably going to hate this episode, just to be honest. Anyway, let's just get to it. Well, here we are talking remotely with Paul Forward in Girdwood, Alaska, and Luke Kappa, who <laughs> is like, I can kind of see his place from here while I'm in my place in Crested Butte, and he's in, in his own place. But yeah, we are, we are social distancing. Full disclosure, I definitely have a drink in my hand because... Where I'm supposed to be right now is literally in Girdwood, Alaska with Paul. So this would have been my first trip to Alaska. We were going to be doing some pretty great skiing. That is not happening. There are bigger problems in the world at the moment. But, you know, just personally, I'm sad. Yeah, it, it would probably be pretty fun. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. It would have been pretty good. <laughs> We've been... We've been plotting and talking about this, Paul, for years now, and it was finally on the books. And um, yeah, I don't know. Say so most of the last like five days were beautiful, flyable days. It would have been, it would have been pretty cool. <laughs> not helping, Paul. <laughs> no, um, I'm not out there. I'm not. I'm not always skiing either, guys. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> Well, anyway, before we get going on this, why don't we sort of, um, you know, check in a little bit. I know that Luke and I, we, we maybe there have been some cracks, cracks in the armor. And uh, Paul, I, I hope you're holding up okay. But um, I know for one, um, one sign that, you know, Luke might not be doing totally fine is he's currently growing a mustache. <laughs> Luke. What do you mean? I'm doing great. <laughs> It's disgusting. You can barely see it, but uh, snow sticks to it. Um, so that's all that really matters. My favorite thing about this is, uh, actually, I have to confess, I've never actually even seen Luke's mustache. Like, you really have to kind of squint. 
But um, I heard I heard Luke talking about the rationale, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm growing this thing, and it's kind of disgusting, which is great because it helps keep people away." Yeah. So, are you growing the mustache and then shaving everything else, or is it just the one you don't shave, you get a mustache? Uh, I I guess I'm shaving everything else. There's not a whole lot else to shave. Um, <laughs> I was uh, blessed slash cursed with just really gross minimal hair around my upper lip and chin. Um, I will never be able to grow a beard, but, um, yeah, just, just doing the mustache for now. And, uh, turns out like half the hair on my upper lip is actually blonde. Um, which is part of why you can't really see it at all. But if you look real close, if I get real close to the mirror, it's definitely there. Man, this is the first time I'm regretting not doing the video FaceTime with you guys. <laughs> oh, that wouldn't help. You couldn't see it. <laughs> no, no, it's really. If if there's snow caked on it, that's about the best. That's about your best chance, unless you've got like yeah. infrared goggles that pick up blonde, faint hair. Yeah, I debated. I debated getting uh, like hair dye at the <laughs> last time I stocked up at the grocery store. Huh. Um. <laughs> I think my number one sign that maybe I'm not not totally fine is, uh, you know, as I was washing my hands for, you know, at least 20 seconds, I caught myself, like, talking to myself in the mirror. <laughs> and then I kind of had this, like, ghastly recognition, like, what the hell? And then I also realized that I think I'd done that the day before, too. So yeah, I don't I don't know how to like rate this on the scale of like good to very much not good, but that was kind of a a, a telling moment for me. I think you need a pet or a roommate. <laughs> pet or a roommate. What do you What do you talk to the mirror about? I honestly I don't know. It was I, when I caught myself. It was so kind of pathetic and horrifying that I Im- immediately forgot whatever it was I was saying. But it may, it may have been something like, oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> oh, I didn't see you there. It's sad. I know. I'm going to go back to drinking. Paul, have you um, anything on your end to help relate to Luke's mustache and my, um, well, clear insanity? Well, since we canceled heli season almost two weeks ago here in Alaska, I've been pretty much in stay home dad mode. And so um, I've been like the, you know, sole person responsible for keeping a 10 month old alive who is generally pretty determined to not keep himself alive. Like he's in like that full like suicide stage where he's self-destruct mode. Yeah. He just tries to kill himself constantly. And so... (laughs) Um, I, I, I haven't felt lonely except the fact that he doesn't really talk to me, but I kind of pretend that he does mm-hmm. and, uh, or I interpret things that he does as communication when they might not really be, but no, I mean, we're doing okay here. We get outside every day, um, to, for like our version of like a little bit of fresh air here, but, uh, but we're, <laughs> it's going okay. <laughs> My other story, you know, to really kind of put the the gravity of this pandemic into perspective. I think this was maybe like 10 weeks ago. And uh, Luke and I were out on a very mellow ski tour. And I was just asking how he's doing, you know, how his friends are doing, family, that kind of thing. And um, I told him that, you know, I'd gone to the grocery store and it was actually kind of like 
terrifying. It's the first time in my life I've ever been like, I've walked into a grocery store and been like, this is really weird. You know, like there's other, a lot of other people in here. I mean, this is relative, but, um, you know, and you're like, we, we shouldn't all be in here right now. Right. And Luke, Luke shared with me, uh, an anecdote about frozen pizza. Luke, do you recall this? Yeah. When this, happened i think it was like right when like right when all the social distancing requirements went into effect and so people were starting to stock up and yeah basically how i gauged the grocery store it's not by toilet paper or hand sanitizer it's the frozen pizza selection and all of the mid-range frozen pizzas were gone um it was only the really expensive ones and the really really cheap ones um, so obviously I went with the really, really cheap ones cause I'm not paying like $15 for a frozen pizza that I'm going to definitely eat in one sitting. Um, but the good news is it has made me make meals with more than two ingredients. So hmm. I am now a chef. What, what do you, what, what's like your specialty now, Luke? Uh, pasta, sauce, and meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just the sauce and like meat? i said i'm is, a chef is there actual pasta no pasta sauce pasta comma sauce comma and meat okay got it you got to throw the oxford yeah. commas in there and no I'm, I'm not yeah i'm not making just pasta sauce soup with meat okay i don't know these yeah. are these are strange times you know people are doing all kinds of different things so I did, yeah, I did find a fun indoor game that some other people might be able to do. If you get a salt gun, not an assault gun, a salt gun for shooting bugs and a bubble blowing machine, you can do like pseudo skeet shooting in the comfort of your own home. And it's guaranteed to provide at least like 10 minutes of entertainment each day. (laughs) (laughs) Worth a try if you already have those materials. So yeah, bottom line, Paul, we're doing great here in Crested Butte. <laughs> yeah, Damn. yeah, it sounds, sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um. Anyway, yeah. Uh, we're hanging in there, and uh, we sure hope everybody else out there is. And um, you know, again, I am. I'm really, truly sad that Paul, we're not uh, able to be hanging out right now in in Girdwood, but um, another time, you know. Yeah, no, me too. I mean, they always say the mountains aren't going anywhere, but it is hard to look out at the sunny mountains <laughs> right now. And I mean, and not not be up there and not feel like we really should be up there. Yeah. So we've gone from sort of a quasi depressing conversation or, or start to a conversation. Let's now talk about one of the best things in the world, which is skiing powder and pow skis you know and the big thing paul this has been this has been a long time coming you've been spending some time on the volant spatula and um i want to go over a little bit of the backstory here long and short i think this was like at least two years ago now i had a friend send me a text that just said, you should buy this. Or maybe it was actually a group text and he sent it out to a number of us and was like, somebody better buy this. And it was, I think, an eBay listing to a like 
in shrink wrap, brand new Shane McConkey spatula. And this was just one of those times in life where, you know, I have friends all the time sending very questionable suggestions and advice for what I ought to be doing. This is one where it was like, it took like one second. It was like, yep, he's right. And um, I bought this ski. And then in a, you know, phenomenal act of, I think, uh, selflessness, um, (laughs) (laughs) rather than getting this thing mounted up to go get on myself, we put together a first look on this ski and then we shipped this ski to you, Paul. Now, like I said, this was like a season or two ago. So it was last spring. They showed up, they got here late last spring, like late April. Okay. Last spring. Um, so there may have been a bit, I, I'm kind of notoriously bad about shipping things. Um, <laughs> is that home for yeah. a year? <laughs> this is an important tr- truth uh, and, and probably a, a, a significant part of the story. Okay, so Paul, you get the spatula in, in Girdwood. Talk us through what, what then happens. <laughs> well, I got, them, I got them kind of like we had pretty much shut down heli skiing at that point and uh and aliasco was you know we usually go a little longer than they do so i think that even the hill wasn't open at that point and uh but i really wanted to get bindings on them and i thought i think there was a chance i was going to be able to sneak in a day doing something with the heli later and uh so you know i i mount most of my own skis and i have like a bunch of you know sbst drill bits and um a good bench to work on at home and at work and, uh, I, uh, I, I mean, I started the skis on fire immediately when trying to, like, <laughs> like, like yellow flames coming out of them. Like the, um, so it turns out that, um, that Volant, so if you've never seen a Volant ski, when you look at it on, in cross section, they're pretty thin. Like they're not, it's not a thick ski. And part of the reason is, is that metal, that metal cap gives the ski a lot of its structure. Um, so it doesn't need to have, like, I, I guess that's probably why it doesn't need to have a stick of a core. So they put a, a mounting plate on it so that normal ski screws don't bottom out through the base. And so um, the the mounting plate, you know, it's whatever, two or three millimeters, but it's just, it's just plastic, just like soft plastic. And uh, so when you get the drill bit in there, you know, like the way that you ever see like the old like stick and bow way of making a fire where like you, you know, you know what I'm talking about where you get the <laughs> yeah. stick going really fast and it lights the tinder on fire. That's what the drill bit did. And the plastic top sheet was basically like the tinder. And uh, it like just, it was like first a lot of smoke. And then before I knew what was happening, there were like flames billowing out of these, <laughs> these coveted skis that I was really excited to try out. Um, so luckily that they, they didn't burn the ski down. You can't like burn up a metal ski, but um, but it was, it kind of slowed me down and getting them mounted up last spring. <laughs> and so, um, I got a couple holes in them before I totally smoked that bit, literally like the bit, I'll send you a picture of it. There's like, it doesn't resemble a drill bit anymore. <laughs> it looks like, it looks like a melted candle. And so, um, so I mean, it was kind of the end of the season and I was like, all right, well, there's no, I'm not gonna be able to ski these things anyway. I'll just shelf this next season. And so, um, earlier this winter I gave it another go and, um, I talked to one of the techs at Powderhound here in Girdwood, which is an awesome ski shop. And uh, he said that when he used to work in a shop that sold Volants, they would charge the customer for a new ski bit <laughs> if they wanted a mount. They'd be like, you're just buying this bit and we'll do the mount for you, but it's going to cost the mount plus this bit. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, uh, and so I, uh, I gave another go. And this time I was just basically, um, I got like a cup of like snow and I just drilled for a little bit and then cooled it off and drilled for a little bit and cooled it off. And I managed to, uh, with like basically two bits, I managed to get all the holes I needed and got a pair of, uh, Jester demo plates on those things. <laughs> so that was exciting. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, I was a little worried, you know, I, I skied a pair of Volant Chubbs. Those were like the kind of, I don't know. Those were like my epiphany skis that like skiing is awesome skis, those old Volant Chubbs that I had. And I eventually broke them. You know, what would happen in those, those metal Volants is they, once you get like a crease or a weakness in that metal cap, it's like the structure of the ski goes pretty quick after that. It, it seems in my experience. And so, and I'd heard that the spatulas were prone to the same thing. And so I was like, oh, I want to pick, I want to take them out on the right day. I don't want to just go smash around on them and, and ruin these things before I get a chance to really ski them with the idea that I take them heli skiing a bit. And, but, but I never want to take any ski heli skiing before I ski them the hill a little bit. And so I took them up that day that I wrote about in that flash review. And it was, it was fun. You know, if, if for anyone who's never skied on a ski like that, any, any fully reverse reverse ski, first of all, you should try it. And secondly, it's really weird, especially if your first experience with them is like skidding down groomers, especially like lower angle groomers, like the kind of groomers that like link one lift to another. Because um, they just go, they just dart around in every weird direction. They don't do anything that you expect them to do as like a ski. And so, um, but I'd skied lots of skis like that, so it wasn't super wacky. Um, but I got them out. And honestly, like the thing I kept thinking from the time I first clipped into them at the bottom of the, of the hill was how skinny they looked. I mean, I've been I've been skiing mm-hmm. on lots of like you know one fifteen, uh, you know at the hill, kind of skis one fifteen to one twenty, and then lots of you know my usual like one twenty to one thirty skis heli skiing underfoot, and these I was like man these are like the skinniest skis I've skied on in, in like weeks. <laughs> like, they, they look so skinny. I mean they're one twenty five underfoot, which is a big ski, but the tips they taper so dramatically to the tips that they just look really little when you look down at them, and. Um, and they, I mean, they don't, they don't float super well. They don't like plane up um, until you get them either a little bit steeper snow or you get them up to speed. Um, and I think that's why, if you guys remember when Praxis Key Company first started, like their first offering was basically their version of the spatula. And the main modification they did is they carried a lot of the width forward of the binding. So it still had a full, it still had the same general shape, but it had a much less dramatic taper and a lot more mm-hmm ski in front of you and i see why they did that i mean it seems like that was a that was a a natural progression or natural kind of evolution of that design but but i mean they knife through chop they pivot just like all skis in that class do and i would love to get them out on the right day of heli skiing i just you know it just it ended so i didn't get to but they're uh they're they're really cool and it's just so cool to have a piece of skiing history like that and uh when I brought him to the hangar, one of the other guides who's been working there for, I don't know, 15 years, he's the only other person I know who has a pair. And we, we were planning on taking on both going out on a day we, we would guide together and uh, bring both pairs out. It'd be pretty cool. <laughs> hey, you know what else would be cool, Paul? If what? I was in fucking Girdwood right now skiing <laughs> on the spatulas. Oh, dude, you could have. Yeah. Well, I'll, if I don't break them, we'll still have them next year. Don't break, <laughs> don't break them. Well, I, it's not like I'm going to be touring on those things anytime soon. Yeah. So they're probably not going to touch snow again until you're back, until, until winter's back again. So in case there's somebody who doesn't exactly know what we're talking about, we're talking about the 
2002-2003 volant spatula in a stated length of 186 centimeters. Um, <laughs> this is amazing. This like this just makes me love Shane McConkey all the more. The our measured weight on this ski. 2,651 grams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Shane knew what was up. Um, and uh, our our measured width, the widest part of this ski, 125.5 millimeters wide. So, Paul, when you're like, oh, I looked down and it was such a skinny ski I was on. <laughs> li- sound a little little helly douchey there. No, not no offense. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, it, it. But when you look at the tips, I mean, so yeah, yeah. Like, like even, even like the other, like probably a day later or two days later or whatever. Like, uh, I, I was at the hill for a couple like end of the day runs on a pair of like head monster eighty eights, and like not a big. Okay, can we agree that that's not a giant douchey heli ski? A head monster eighty eight. <laughs> <laughs> that's yes. my heli ski. Like I looked at the tips and I was like, these tips are wider than the spatula tips. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, reverse side cut looks weird which, on your feet. Which actually is pretty interesting when you think about it. I didn't even think about this just now. Like, McConkie's kind of pro model prior to the spatula was one of the machetes. And I'm pretty sure the machetes were like 84, 88, somewhere like that. So pretty comparable. And that was like the, you know, free ride powder ski that he was doing all the crazy stuff on before he before he made the spatula. Hmm. Yeah, that's wild. By the way, I, but, I, I, pulled up, I pulled up our first look. That we published on the spatula, and I'm, I'm, uh, kind of proud of myself right now for the stated side cut radius. Uh, <laughs> we just said, also complicated, approximately one zillion meters. <laughs> <laughs> complicated. <laughs> it just goes on forever. Yes. That was good. Wait, good way to go, former self. Um, but I mean, here, here's here's the big here's the take home though. How many skis from 2002 or 2003 would we even be cons- would, would you even like consider taking like out on a powder day in 2020 or 2019? Like pretty much zero for like and and except for like the the novelty of like a vintage or like kind of a kind of a fun experience. But like for like legitimately like going fast skiing powder with your friends, like how many skis from 2003 would you want to take out? That's probably the only one. I mean. Um, I can't remember when those powder carves were, or those rousing knolls that were fat like that, but that's there's not much else out there like that. They were way ahead of their time. Yeah. By the way, speaking of way ahead of his time, another shout out to Shane. We should talk about the recommended mount point on this ski. Mm. Minus 5.35 centimeter from true center. Yep. Luke Kappa is like salute. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys know like what what were like average ski mountain points in that era? Like were they were mo- I can't I can't remember were oh. skis like minus twelve, minus fifteen kind of thing. I was six years old, so I'm not an expert <laughs> on this. Yeah, I, I, I would I would maintain that it would be very common to have skis in the minus twelve to minus fourteen centimeter behind true center range. Two thousand two, the spatula is minus five point three five. Pretty, pretty, yep. pretty progressive. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it, it works. It makes sense. And I, I'm not as close to the air as I could get with the, with the demo bindings and the, um, the holes that were in the ski. And they seemed right. It seemed like the right spot. I might have gone back a hair, 
Um, and, and just for reference, I'm looking right now at the, the original ad copy for the Volant Machete Sin skis, which is advertised. <laughs> this is the ski that, that Shane was on, I think, right before the spatula. Huge, fast, and powerful. The Shane McConkie designed super fat twin tip was specifically designed for the biggest of big mountain descents. Its dimensions are 104, 81, 115. Unbelievable. 81. It's giant. <laughs> and that's what he went to from, and that's what, you know, that's what he started skiing on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's like, you know, spatula. this is a pretty good ski. We should just bump it to 125.5. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you guys know the real story was he was skiing on Volant Chubbs apparently, right? And he like kept, kept, kept wearing them out so they would become reverse cambered. And, uh, and he was like, this is, this is the ticket. Yeah. I think that was part of the inspiration was that, so, and the chub was bigger. I think the chub was like 88 or 90, but it was soft too. Yeah. And it was straight. It didn't have any sign cut. So, Hey, now I want Paul to have you talk a little bit about, you know, the spatula maybe versus a few like current pow skis. But just before we do that, I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think about that. We're going to have what's effectively a little interlude because my glass is empty. So I need to run upstairs real quick. And I figure in the meantime, I'm going to have Luke Coppa talk about something that I definitely do not give a shit about. Um, this, this Houdini anorak that Luke is very psyched on. So I'm going to go, I'll be right back. Luke, talk about the stupid Houdini anorak and tell Paul all about it. Okay. I'll be right, back. I'm going to go get a beer. Luke, you're on your own, buddy. <laughs> all right. I'm just going to talk to myself then, I guess. I'll listen to you talk about your anorak. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, yeah. Anyway, um, one of the, when Jonathan and I were touring, a little while back, um, I decided to bring an anorak mostly just to spite him. Um, but turns out, at least for this one in particular, it's the Houdini shelter anorak. Uh, when you ditch a full zipper, this one actually doesn't have any sort of zipper on the front. It makes it really packable. Um, so it's actually one of the most packable shells I have. It's not very convenient. Anoraks are still not very functional by any <laughs> real use of that term but they do pack down small and they look cool and i look better in all the photos that day than jonathan did so that's pretty much my takeaway um i just got back so i'm sure i didn't miss anything uh, i'm yeah. sold he really convinced me that anoraks are the way to go i'll be, <laughs> I'll um, be all anorak for 2021 luke yep. while i was gone did you did you bring up the question that was raised this week? Again, you know, you know, it's a little bit like The Shining as we're all like quarantined and losing our minds a bit. We were, this was some text exchange where you, it, the punchline sort of got to, you made the comment, all hoodies are anoraks. Because like hoodies, one of my favorite genres of clothing in the world anoraks stupidest piece of clothing in the world <laughs> so um did you talk about that while i was gone no we didn't get into that debate and i mean yeah we there i don't think we'll get a conclusive answer i don't know if there's like a someone with a phd over in scandinavia who can just who can talk about the origins of the word anorak but 
in some interpretations, it's simply a pullover uh, piece of apparel that you wear over your body. Um, and in that interpretation, yeah, a hoodie, a pullover hoodie without a full zip would be an anorak. Um, but then I think originally, I think they were meant as outerwear and were usually like a waxed cotton uh, canvas material. But in my, with the way I'm kind of thinking about it, all hoodies are anoraks, not all anoraks are hoodies. It's kind of like the square versus rectangle debate. Okay, first of all, not all hoodies have zippers on them. And so I'm specifically I, talking about pullover hoodies. Paul, where are you on this debate? I think that they make sense for their original design intent, which was kayaking. Um, <laughs> they were they were invented by like Inupiaq Eskimos, I think, or Greenland Eskimos for kayaking. Mm -hmm. And I still think anoraks have their place in kayaking. Okay. I'm actually prepared to give you that. Well, I'm just always like surfing down such deep snow that like it's basically like kayaking. So it makes sense. <laughs> Most important thing is my glass is, you know, refilled. And so uh, hopefully everyone else took this chance to run away and fill their own glass um, while Luke droned on about dumb shit. Um, <laughs> let's get back to Powski's. Paul. Where should we go? Spatula versus what? Well, I mean, the natural comparison for the spatula is like all the other reverse reverse skis, right? The one that I've been on most recently is the ARG2 from Armada. Um, and then the other kind of ones that are sort of still in production is the, the DPS 138, which they did as a Powderworks version for this past year. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, those are like the, the most kind of apples to apples comparisons yeah. with the spatula. And I'd say in a nutshell, I mean, Spatula was groundbreaking. It was awesome, and it's still a great ski, and we've talked about it a bunch. Um, those those other iterations, like kind of more modern versions, are I think are generally improvements on the Spatula shape. Uh, you know, like they, they're a little more versatile. They handle the harder snow a little bit better. They provide more float. They're, they drift a little better. They're more playful. They, don't, they, don't, they definitely don't spear through the chop um, like that 2,600-gram spear tip spatula that literally has like the picture of a knife on the front, you know? <laughs> um, so they're not, they're not that, but for, for like a dedicated powder tool, the, the newer variations are better. And, uh, you know, one of these days I'd like to talk to, um, I got an email introduction to Peter Turner, yeah. who was the engineer that, that Shane McConkie worked with. Um, and I'd really like to pick his brain sometime and talk to him about what he thinks, how he thinks the evolution of that ski has gone and where he thinks it might go. But I think generally, generally speaking, the ski was obviously amazing, but, there, but the more recent variations are, are better in almost every way. Hmm. Luke, any questions? I mean, mostly I just want to see Paul do like the, the water ski sideways <laughs> slarp down an entire spine. <laughs> me too um, luke me too <laughs> so paul can I, can I go on a, can i go on a quick tangent on on the word spine sure if, and if anybody and anybody who knows me here is going to be rolling their eyes right now already if they listen <laughs> to this um but people use the term spine all the time to describe what are basically like ridges that exists mm -hmm. like year round that get snow on them and they are great to ski on because the slough peels off and that's the beauty of a spine right is the, the slough peels off and it's kind of easy to initiate turns on like a 
kind of a surface that falls away on both sides of you. But the spines that are like, like that are like real spines, like the spines like McConkey was skiing with those things a lot of the time, are like the ones that are like the slough almost like helps form the spine, you know, it like sloughs and sloughs and builds up and builds up. And those things are gnarly. I would be scared to ski those on any ski. And the few times I've gotten on them, um, I probably would have been fine on a spatula. Honestly, it's basically you're just like power sliding and staying loose and, and trying to not go in the, the ditches because the ditches are like raging whitewater rivers on either side of you. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, this is a great point you raise. So, I, you know, in sum, we are overusing the term spine. Fair? I think I think so. Yeah, I, that's my personal opinion, not based on any like like official swag terminology. I have I have a related point. We way overuse the term cliff. <laughs> when people are like, "Oh yeah, man, you know, there's a cliff over there and it's like 10 feet." That's not a cliff. That's a rock. <laughs> do we have do we have any thoughts about this? Like just call it a fucking rock. Like that's not a cliff. I feel like we should come to some consensus on how big of a drop we have to be talking about before you get to call it a cliff. I think just for in like the frame of crested butte, I think the naming schemes around here are actually pretty good for that. We have a lot of rocks. We have like house rock, big rock, You're right. uh, box rock. All of those, like you can hit them as small as about five to 15 feet. Yep. And then you have like paradise cliffs, which are more, well, they're, they actually are cliffs in the summer. Yep. And those are more pushing into like 25 to 50 plus feet. Um, so that's kind of, I think just by skiing here, that's how I think about it. But usually I just like, like, a, I think of like a drop as a smaller air and then cliffs are like big airs. So Luke, you're proposing we talk about drops and cliffs. Mm-hmm. Paul? Or, or rocks and cliffs. Rocks and cliffs. Hmm. Um, I, I'm generally sim- share your guys' sentiment. I mean, to me, it cliffs, I think of cliffs as like, you know, a, uh, a band, you know, like a feature mm-hmm. of the mountain and, uh, you know, usually wider than they are tall, maybe not always, mm-hmm. but, um, and, uh, and rocks are rocks. So, you know, as Alyeska is similar, all the classic kind of, kind of big airs where you jump off a big rock are Alyeska are mostly all called rocks like Eagle rock and picnic rock. Um, but, uh, I, I, every once in a while, I ski with those guys from this. I, I don't really know what it is, but they call themselves Dog Lotion. I think they have a website, and they're from Whistler. They're a fun group of guys, and they called everything that was like not a big cliff. They called them dongers. And I thought that was kind of, I was like, <laughs> I, like I, was like that. I get that a donger. Yeah. Totally like, acceptable. A donger, and they'd go, he go hit that donger, and I, I was like, oh yeah, I kind of like that. That works. I actually love that, and I am, yeah. If we are. Uh, setting down a charter for new terminology here in this, you know, slightly buzzed conversation we're having, then yes, uh, acceptable terms for tiny little drops are drops, rocks, or dongers. I'm good. And with if this. they have a big lip on it, it's a boinger. Boinger? <laughs> oh, boinger. Yeah, boinger, boinger. boingers and yeah, dongers. I just think we need to respect, yeah. we just yeah. need to respect the term cliff a bit more. <laughs> Yeah, that's where I'm going with this. That's where I'm going with this. 
Good. <laughs> I'm glad you got that off your chest. Thank yeah, we you. all feel better about our mountain terminology yeah. now. Luke, you yeah, got any? Given that we're, we can't hit any of these things right now, we can just <laughs> talk about what they're called. Right, right. No spines, right. no cliffs, but we're going to have a lot more clarity coming into next season, so that's good. <laughs> Luke, any termino- points of terminology you need to, you know, sound off on? Um, no, I think we covered anorak, or we debated anoraks and cliffs and drops and you're right wow we've covered a lot of solid yeah. solid uh linguistic work here so i'm, I'm proud of us <laughs> yeah um i'll raise any questions if they come up okay big question now big one now you need to get real focused given what you've said about reverse camber fat powskis are you sure that we still really need them to exist there's a lot of wide Powskis that are not reverse camber that are extremely capable. They offer excellent flotation and they are also perhaps more versatile when you start encountering, you know, less than perfect deep pow. So where is your current thinking about this? The, the, the need for the existence of reverse camber skis? Well, I mean, okay, what's the need for the existence of any ski, right? Skis are for having fun. And, uh, like, you know, except for those of us using them, whatever, for, like, military operations, they're not, like, a necessity. So, I mean, big picture, like, all skis are for having a good time. And the big reverse pow skis are, they're, like, a niche tool. They're they're super fun in the right conditions. But you you wouldn't want them to be your only ski. And I would argue you probably wouldn't even want them to be your only powder ski. So like if you're, if, if you're a person who's like, boy, I'd really like to have a dedicated powder ski for when it dumps or when I go on a heli or a cat trip or, or I go to Japan, um, then I would say, you know, there are more versatile options out there. And there's so many really, really good. I mean, you know, there's a dozen good, you know, 120 plus, well, less so now, a lot of companies are getting away from, there's a half dozen good skis in that category. And, uh, that would, that will be just ridiculously fun. You will not, you will not stop smiling on a powder day on any of those skis. I would say for more like the, uh, the, if you want a little extra experience, or if you're like, just you, you're a person who, for wherever you live or the, the places you like to go skiing, you get to ski powder a lot. Um, I think it's worth, if you get the opportunity to try one of the kind of powder specialty shapes, because they are different and they are really, really fun in the right conditions. Um, but it, I, I wouldn't say that that's like the way to go for your only powder ski, like get a reverse camber, reverse side cut ski. Yeah. Um, but uh, but they are amazing in the right conditions. And like even for me as a heli ski guide, you know, like I'm not putting those reverse side cut skis in the basket very often because I don't know what I'm going to encounter. And I want to be able to, you know, I, I want to be able to pin it out of weird snow at the, you know, at the bottom of a run and not worry about my skis doing weird stuff. And so I've over the years, I've um, moved away from those skis a little bit uh, more, you know, and if the right winter comes along. Um, I'll probably be on them again if we're, you know, like a lot of this year I could have easily been on them and I've been really happy. Um, but, uh, they're, they're a specialty ski for sure. Okay. Luke, I want to get your sort of just preliminary impressions about a ski that 
we were actually both pretty intrigued by uh, the new Line Vision 118. Talk to me a little bit about that ski and, and how you have uh, found it to be so far. Yeah, so ironically, while we're talking about POW skis, this is a pretty wide ski that I haven't skied in any POW yet. Um, but I did ski it in some slush and some terrible conditions. Um, and it was pretty fun for what it is. I mean, it's a wide ski that's also really light. Um, this is like the Vision Series is kind of Lions Touring Series for now. Um, and the bottom line is that it feels very, very much like a wider Vision 108, which is currently one of my favorite touring skis. Um, still really big sweet spot, really intuitive. Um, you can ski it centered, you can ski it forward. Um, it's not a super stable ski. And like one of the big questions you and I had was, given that the line sick day 114 is going to be gone for next year, is the Vision 118 a replacement? Initially, I'm thinking no, um, mostly just because it is lighter, it is softer, um, it is a more playful ski. Um, and the funny thing is, like, Line now has the Pescado, the Outline, and the Vision 118, all of which are, I would call unique skis, and I'll skew more towards the playful end of the spectrum. The Pescado is, I mean, an outlier in basically every regard, but um it was a lot of fun in slush and like we have alpine bindings on it right now and i think i think for skiers who aren't looking to ski super fast once the snow is chopped up it could handle that um just not quite as well as the sick day 114 but the bonus is like i would be much happier on the uphill yep. skinning on the vision 118 like i I use the sick day 114, the 180 centimeter version as my touring ski for like a whole winter at some, at one point. And it was fine, but it's not, it wasn't the lightest ski. Um, but yeah, basically it's a fun, very playful, lightweight pow ski that I would be very happy using as like a pow touring ski, um, or for soft snow, kind of more conservative or more playful skiing days in the resort. But overall, I'm a fan for sure. If I wasn't currently drinking a pretty nice whiskey, I would definitely pour one out for the Sick Day 114. Yeah, that was a good ski. That ski was so good. And anyway, if you're curious about the Sick Day 114, you can go read our stuff on the website. But yeah, that ski I just thought was phenomenal. Um, Luke... How weird is it, do you think, that I also think the Line Pescado is an incredible ski? I think it's really weird that you like that ski. Like, I, especially because you don't love the Sakana. No, I don't. Um, which is the narrower version, essentially. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, it's really light. It's a really tight side cut radius. It has a swallowtail, and you hate everything that's fun. So, yeah, you shouldn't really like that ski. <laughs> but, counterpoint, <laughs> Luke, Luke charges, this, charges me with this quite frequently, that I hate everything <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> oh, so frequently that I'm like, crap, is he right? But I don't think he's right. <laughs> Case in point, I love the Pescado. And 
I think to just give a moment of praise to that ski, yes, I hate light skis. I dislike skis with a lot of side cut. And yet that ski just works so well. Huge sweet spot on it. I also, you know, to be fair, I have memories skiing that on at on a couple of big pow days at Mount Bachelor. And it was like, this is a total match made in heaven. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Mount Bachelor is not about its like super steep, super techie terrain. It's about its super fun, playful tree skiing, turn on a dime type stuff, pop, you know, pop off of mini rollers, that kind of thing. I just was like the the Pescado was a perfect match for the conditions and the terrain. So anyway, kind of shout out to that Pescado if uh if if somebody like me even loves it. Somebody who hates fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that Pescado is on my list. Like that that shape of ski, like of all the weird powder skis I've been on, like I really am missing that data point in my experience, the like the super swallowtail big tip. I mean, there's not a lot of skis shaped like that. I mean, that's like, you know, very few and they're probably the only production ski. And I really, really like when you do come heli skiing, you should put that in your bag. We should bring that out one day. <laughs> We're going to have to have a big, like, yeah, definitely a big negotiation. <laughs> Second heli. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's, let's go to the absolute other end of the spectrum, really from the line Pescado. Paul, I want to get, an update from you uh, about how your time has been on the, I think, 189-centimeter DPS Koala 119. So I, so right up front, I love that ski. That ski, it, uh, surprisingly, is one of my all-time favorite Alieska powder skis. Wow. Um, so, you know, it's, it's heavy. It's like, what is that thing, 2450 or 2500 grams? Does that sound right, Luke? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's right around that range. It's quite heavy. So I mean, it's it's very non DPS like in its weight, at least. Right. And uh, it, uh, you know, the ski that had been kind of my favorite overall Alaska ski has been that still that old original, you know, Bibby Pro slash Blister Pro, and I still love that pair of skis. Um, but you know, I, I love a pair of skis for um, for this kind of maritime snow that we have here that float well and, and do well at the beginning of the day, but still continue to like cut through the chop and, and hold an edge and can, can go fast through the kind of the chunder late in the day. Uh, and man, that, that 119, it has the stability, I really think, of the, of the baby. It just has a little shorter turn radius. And so I think it's a little more fun to knife around. Hmm. A little more, it carves better. Hmm. And, uh, and the big thing that it does a lot better is it just has it just feels like it has to me like way more float if it, it you know like i would i have not the few times i've taken the bibby heli skiing it wasn't my favorite it just doesn't feel it just feels kind of dead and it, it you know it kind of goes to the bottom and i took the koala 119 out on a couple of really good days and uh man that ski was a blast i had a ton of fun you know I, w- there were runs that i w- wished i'd had a bigger ski but for the most part i thought it was like a totally legitimate Alaska heli ski. And I would not say that about very many, um, you know, like for me, for my style of skiing, um, I, I like the float with the stability for, for in that environment. And, uh, 
you know, compared to the, we talked about the, the, the Blister Pro, the, I haven't skewed the newest Nordica Enforcer 115, but the, the previous version, I would say I would, I would take the DPS, um, and on a powder day easily, hmm. I would say head core 117, I would take the DPS on a powder day. Um, what else is in that category? You know, the, the older QST 118, the, it's no contest. The DPS does everything better for me. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and then I've also skied a fair bit on the Revolt 121 and in the, in the 191 centimeter length. And that's, um, that's a whole other conversation. I really struggled figuring out where to, where, where the mount point, where my boot needed to be on that ski. Um, mm. but, uh, I thought that the DPS similarly, you know, it, the DPS is a bigger, heavier ski, but it, again, you know, it's more stable. It has similar float and I thought I found it more predictable in, in weird snow. So I think that skis, uh, that's one of my favorite skis. That's of my two favorite skis of, of the 1920 ski season. That's one of them. And then the Mantra 102 is the other one. Um, those are like yep. hands down to me, the best skis of the year. And I really hope DPS doesn't change it um, as they often do. Some of the skis that I really like <laughs> <laughs> by making it lighter or softer or something. It just like it, that ski is awesome the way it is. And, and I mean, it's a 189, right? Like bigger guys, like I know I'm 200 pounds, bigger guys are going to be buying that ski. And I don't think that 189. It's plenty easy. It's plenty accessible for, uh, you know, for, uh, like for a, you know, a, a strong intermediate and above skier who's you what? know. What? Okay. Paul. I think it is. Though I I agree. The one it, it, that ski is not a hard ski to ski. That it's a short, effective edge. It's heavy and in a grin. I'm not skiing like super tight zones in, in Crested Butte. Maybe I would feel differently if I was there. <laughs> I think you'd feel but, differently. <laughs> But where you could where like, you know, even like the tighter train I've been in with it, it feels like it, it feels so well balanced, you know, that that, what's the mount point on it? Maybe like minus seven, six-ish. Minus six, minus Are you seven. skiing it, it on the line, well I'm skiing it. I put it at recommended. And I haven't even thought about changing wow. it. Okay. <laughs> so just, just to be clear, I would say that the, it's been a minute since I've been on this ski but it's a, it is the 191 centimeter Nordica Enforcer 115. Yep. That's the ski we talked about. Like, don't be afraid of like the length. And, yep. and like, we could put, you know, a strong intermediate or solid intermediate on that ski, especially if they're going to go ski like good snow in like wide open terrain. I would definitely like, say that about the Nordica Enforcer 115 in a 191, I would be a little hesitant to say that about a 189 centimeter Koala 119. Fair enough. I, I, it's more ski than that, than the, um, the Nordica. You know, okay. I think maybe partly that it has a more forward mount point. It just feels like it pivots a lot easier. Like if you're in the middle of that, of that Koala, the tails come around real easy. Um, that, that enforcer has a more traditional mount point. So if you're, yeah. you know, in more moderate terrain it, that it'll be fine. But if you yeah. feel like if you need to like, you know, it's, it, it's a more traditional feeling ski for sure. But I agree that the, the enforcer is, uh, is, a, is an easier ski to ski than okay. the koala. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I like, I'm much smaller than both of you guys. And I remember thinking for like the, the 189 koala 119 we tested, 
it is one of the stiffest skis we've reviewed and it's one of the heaviest but given that i did i do agree that it's easier than i would have expected um like it didn't strike me as it wasn't as demanding as i expected i do think i would personally get along better with the 184 yeah seems fair yeah i think i think it's for i think it'd be for a bigger for for a bigger skier or a skier with more open terrain um uh, you know, like, yeah, like somebody who was you know, 30 pounds lighter than I am, I would probably push more toward the 184. It is currently 10.32 p.m. Colorado time. This is way past Luke's bedtime. So we really need to, like, start wrapping this up because Luke is going to just pass out, you know, in the middle of this conversation. So, you know, just to kind of take us home here, though, Luke, uh, do you want to talk about underwear or thick socks? One one second, I'm going to switch headphones. Uh, let's do underwear because a lot of people are probably spending more time than usual <laughs> walking around their house in just their underwear. All right. Um, I personally have a new like favorite pair, but let's go ahead. I want let's the floor is yours. Talk to us about underwear. Um, well, I guess the, the short story is over the past couple of years, I've been converted to merino wool underwear for all times of the year. Um, even when I was living on the front range of Colorado where temps hit like the 90s in the summer. Um, for me, I mean, one, it's gross, but you don't have to wash it as often. Um, and two, it's surprisingly comfortable. Um, I now have... In my regular rotation, options from Smart Wool, Mons Royal, Icebreaker, Wool X, and uh, uh, Ridge Merino. And I like pretty much all of them. But yeah, I mean, like, wool does a really good job of absorbing moisture. Uh, it doesn't smell. And it, like, high quality Merino wool is really comfortable for me. So I'm a huge fan. Um, and currently, in a bit of a surprise, the Ridge Merino options have become my new favorites. Um, and that was a new brand for me this year. So props to them for competing very well with the big players in the huge market of Merino wool underwear. Have you noticed a trend, Luke, in uh, the your preferred blend? I'm assuming these aren't all 100% Merino. Um, like, a, like what percent blend do you think you like best? Um, I haven't looked at the specs recently. I mean, like I could literally just rummage through my underwear drawer. It's right behind me right now. But I think most of them are in like the like low 90s, high 80s merino. And then the okay. rest is poly or nylon and spandex. Um, yep. I haven't I haven't tried any that are like a Lyocell blend or a rayon blend or something like that. I have used shirts with those blends and I haven't actually liked them all that much. Um, but yeah, I, th I think most of the options and people can actually look at our base layer index, um, for several of the ones I've been using. <laughs> um, but I think they're all pretty similar. Gotcha. Okay. I was just curious. I, it seems like there is like a real kind of a balance between like durability and, uh, and comfort, you know, and, and then the, and like the wicking perform or the kind of odor control of, of wool versus like the more durable, and sometimes softer, more comfortable blends. 
The only durability issues, I had one rip at the seam, which I think was just a manufacturing defect. And then my Mons pair has a big hole on the outside of the thigh from a mountain bike crash this summer. Um, but I don't uh, put that against the underwear itself. <laughs> so I, so I, have a, I have a preferred friction test for, um, for base layers. And it is, this is, maybe this is too much information, but I have a pretty bad like, thigh rub between my legs when I walk. <laughs> Yeah, like like real bad, and a pair of hundred percent wool long underwear will last me less than a month before I have like nickel size holes on both uh-huh. sides. And when I go to the blends, like I'll get a season or two. Yeah, I do think. Yeah, I think adding just a bit of synthetic fabric definitely helps a lot. And it seems like the vast majority of companies I've seen, especially in the lighter weight blend or lighter weight uh, base layers, are almost all using a blend, I think, because of that. And Mm -hmm. I don't, like, they don't make just, like, a boxer brief style, but True um, makes a, they use New Yarn, which is a a, mostly merino wool. I think it's, like, 85% merino wool. And then the rest is nylon and spandex. And that's by far the most durable blend I've seen. And I think part of that does come down to the, uh, spinning process of the yarn itself. Like that's what new yarns claim is. And I, like, I, I must have put like, I think I'm getting close to 300 days in that base layer kit. And I have miraculously not put any holes in it, which still blows my mind. So, so the new yarn sounds really durable. Is it, um, do you think there's any drawbacks or downsides to the, that particular blend? Um, at least for the, the version that True uses, I would say it's not like there's a bit more texture to the knit of the fabric, um, which I think helps it breathe a little bit better and is probably also why it stretches more. Um, but it's not quite as like almost silky smooth as some super high end 100% merino is. And then I know, especially, in, I think it depends on how the company chooses to knit it because. We've mm. tried some black diamond uh, merino pieces that are made with new yarn yarn, but mm. it's not, it does not feel this, like, it feels very different than the true stuff I have. Interesting. Um, I have so the I, black diamond yeah. pants. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Is it the huh. rhythm? Uh, it's whatever the three-quarter height ones that are made for skiing. They're, 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 gotcha. They feel more like poly than, than wool, honestly. Like, yeah. They, they, seem, they, they don't have that the, quite the normal wool feel. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I think, I mean, I'm excited to see where it goes. Have you tried the new smart wool, like intranet or whatever? I think that's what they call it. I have not, I don't think. I've been using one of those as my kind of go to shirt, and it's a little on the heavy side for touring, but smart wool intranet 200. I mean, 200 weight wool is a pretty heavy wool for high, high output activities, and it's only like 50% merino, as I recall. And like, hmm. I think the rest is polyester with some, with some stretchy stuff. But um, I'm I'm a big fan. I think it's super comfortable, and I haven't really put any time on the pants yet, so I don't have a good sense of durability. But I really like it for everything except like high exertion kind of activities. Hmm. I'll have to check that out. All right. Since this has been a conversation about clarifying terms, I realize I'm sort of getting sloppy because I am just talking about underwear, by which I mean like boxer briefs but I still am kind of feeling like underwear first and foremost should kind of be like the stuff you wear under your pants. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, shout out to Patagonia's Men's Essential Boxer Briefs. The three-inch length might be my favorite underwear of all time. Now, number one, Luke, make a note. We're going to need to put in an order to True because you've been on this new yarn tip for a long time now. So I think Mm -hmm. it's time to get a second opinion here at Blister. So I want to get an order in if they're doing like a boxer brief that from everything you're saying might rival my new all-time favorite. Yeah, it'll be a very different feel versus the the Patagonia ones because those are full synthetic. Well, we'll see. You don't want to just like borrow my 300-day base layer kit? Yeah, on the things that uh, I would like to avoid, you know, in my life, that's probably... I don't know, probably number one on the list of things I'd like to not do, Luke. So yeah, I think we're going to, you know, let's see about, I I just want to do, you know, a direct AB comparison here. Uh, Your, your heavyweight contender versus uh, these Patagonias I've been rocking. And um, we need to get, we need to get to the bottom of this as it were. But Luke, I wanted to just ask you, here's Patagonia's description of their men's essential boxer briefs and again i've opted for the three inch as opposed to the six inch um these are described as everyday boxer briefs made from moisture wicking breathable tensile t-e-n-c-e-l which continues then lyocell slash spandex stretch jersey Fair trade certified sewn. So there's a lot of words in there that I don't recognize, like tensile and lyocell. What do you got, Luke? Um, yeah, so those are actually, they're like, from my understanding, I mean, tensile and lyocell, I know tensile is like a, is like a, a brand name of a, a fiber content. Um, I think... From what I remember, it's pretty closely related to rayon, and most of the time it's made from bamboo, so it's basically just like bamboo pulp, pulverized, and spun into fibers. So it's actually technically a natural fiber, somewhat similar to cotton. Um, but yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's it'd be very soft and absorbent, um, and I don't know, do they do the polygene treatment on those? Does it say? I'm honestly just reading the product page description. Uh, Made from moisture wicking, breathable, 95% tensile, and then lyocell slash 5% spandex jersey with a super soft hand for all day comfort. I'm not, we're talking, getting some descriptions about flat lock seams here. Okay, well, anyway... I'm guessing the merino ones would probably be more odor resistant. Probably not as soft on skin. Merino would probably be a little bit warmer. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go with only going from my experience with merino boxers. I'm gonna say these are gonna be more durable. Yeah, I guess we'll see. You're not you're not certain about that. Yeah, I mean, 
most of my experience with Tencel and Lyocell has been in Merino blends where it's like 50-50 and they were in mountain bike shirts. And unsurprisingly, I put all sorts of holes in them last summer. Um, and like, it's still a pretty, it's a staple fiber for the most part. So it's pretty short fiber strands, just like wool. So not quite as resilient overall compared to a synthetic, which goes for both wool and these kind of pseudo synthetic, like rayon type things. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Battle of the heavyweights. Um, well, Paul, sorry that you're a kind of DQ'd from this conversation, given your humongous fat thighs. It's okay. It's been like kind of a lifelong, <laughs> lifelong thing. Um, gentlemen, I think our work here is done. Um, we've talked about everything from Shane McConkey's way ahead of his time spatula to stupid anoraks to... Paul's uh, girthy thighs. I feel like, I mean, about covers it, no? <laughs> yeah, I think that's all my quarantined brain can handle. Yeah. All right. Um, Luke, I'm very sorry that we've kept you up like two and a half hours past your bedtime. Uh, so, you know, feel free to sleep in, take the morning off, um, you know, do what you need to do. But um, yeah, uh, it's been a pleasure. It was great talking to you, Luke. Talk to you later. Um, yeah, talk to you later. And, and Paul, Jonathan, I, I wasn't sure if Luke was leaving early. It's always <laughs> good talking to you too, Jonathan. <laughs> um, Paul, we'll do it again. Again, I'm kind of heartbroken that we're not currently hanging out uh, together in Girdwood, but um, down the road, this is a trip that's going to happen for sure. Um, and we're going to get you out to CB. I'm excited about that. And uh, I have some. I would like that. I have some specific dates in mind. Um, and, uh, and an upcoming event in mind that, uh, it would be great to have you out for. So, um, you know, we can go hit some boingers and dongers. Exactly. Sounds great. I'll be bringing my one eight, one ninety one or one eighty nine centimeter DPS koala one (laughs) nineteen. Um, there we go. Well, guys, uh, at the end of, uh, what has been, uh, you know, kind of a long and kind of a tough day, uh, this has been a pretty, pretty great way to, to cap it. So thanks to both of you for the conversation and the insight. And, uh, I will be talking to both of you very soon. Sweet. Sounds great, Jonathan. Thanks. Well, that's it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Paul and Luke for the conversation. And thanks to Justin Bob for editing this, you know, minor disaster of an episode. Uh, Thank you, J-Bob. And again, congrats to everyone who left us a review in Apple Podcast and has now officially set into motion Operation Telemark Crash Course or Operation Telemark Crashing, whatever you want to call it. And again, since we like to keep the rewards coming around here for our next listener appreciation video, remember, once we hit 500 ratings, we're going to make our blister snowblade video. So if you've already left us a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts, you're going to need to introduce some of your friends to Gear 30 and then tell them that if they happen to actually like this show, they should go leave us a rating in Apple Podcasts. Finally, I want to remind you again to please go check out the episode we published earlier this week on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, 
where we talk to those outdoor companies that have pivoted and are making personal protective equipment for healthcare workers. You need to know about these efforts. And again, you can find Bikes and Big Ideas on our website or just do a search for Bikes and Big Ideas in whatever podcast app you use. Thanks, everybody. Now, please be smart. And please be safe and go take good care of yourself and everybody else out there. And we will talk to you again next week.